Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And we're also going to discuss the newest MCU movie, which is in theaters and on Disney Plus for Premier Access, but I visited the theaters to see it. Black Widow. We're also going to be giving our thoughts on the latest Disney Plus Marvel show, Loki. Film Festival returned this last week and they had a nice lineup and they crowned their Palme d'Or winner. It is Titane, which is a French film directed by Julia Ducournau. It is, have you heard of what this film's about? Um, I remember I read the description, but I've since forgotten, so remind me. It deals heavily with automotives and there appears to be some sort of romantic and very erotic connection between a person and a car. So Fast and Furious? <laughs> Apparently, it's a new installment in the franchise. <laughs> where Wasn't F9 the, the secret headliner at Cannes? Yeah, it was. Incredible. They said, they said we, we, we can't get enough of cars, so let's give, <laughs> let's give the Palme d'Or to this Titan movie. They, um, yeah, apparently it's heavily featuring cars, but if you saw the trailer, which I did the other day, just cause I was like, well, I want to see somewhat what it's about. Like, what is the plot? In what ways does that come about? Some sort of scene or moment between a person and a car and the trailer. I don't think they see a single word in it. It's very confusing. Don't have a single iota about what the story's about. But it looks really interesting. Visually, mm-hmm. at least, it's definitely arresting in that way. Uh, but definitely a movie to look forward to. It got picked up by Neon, the distributor that yeah. also released Parasite. So it seems like they're trying to go for another international film to to bring to the Oscars. And they love picking to up make a lot of your winners. I know. So that is one to have on our radar going forward. Now, apparently there was a Walking Dead lawsuit that I know nothing about. I have not heard about this at all. Someone, they had to pay out Frank Darabont, apparently, who created the show. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard about this, because this is a very long-running lawsuit. He sued them back when he got kicked off the show, or around when he was kicked off the show in the second season, and he was upset because he felt that he was not being given um, his proper share of the profits. For the show so that's why he sued amc but amc was also like he was kind of mean on set and was like somewhat not harassing people but just being very rude like he sent out a bunch of emails that was saying f you to a bunch of people um so it was an interesting back and forth that they had because they were saying that's why we released him but their mom was saying no it's kind of because of the money situation they just wanted to maximize their profits while screwing me uh, so finally, it seems like at least this long-running lawsuit has come to an end with 
Frank Darabont ultimately winning, getting that payout from AMC. So hopefully this will be where it ends, but I think there's also other lawsuits he has, like secondary lawsuits that are somewhat related to the Walking Dead situation. But it is kind of sad that there's there could have been a great version of The Walking Dead that was helmed by Frank Darabont for more than just one season, mm-hmm. but we will never get to know it. Okay, in part but... because of their disagreements with each other and because of AMC's apparent greed early on in the process. But is this true that the payout is $200 million? I mean, that's what it's saying. Like, they will have to fork over $200 million, not to Darabont exclusively. It's also to his agency, CAA. Okay. But that's still an insane amount of money. That's got to be a lot of. That's gonna be a lot of money, even if it's not all the two hundred million. A good chunk of it's probably going to Frank Darabont. So, I mean, he's making a lot of money right now for for this lawsuit. Like, good for him, I guess. Now we can move on to some trailer talk. We have a bunch of new trailers that have come out. The most recent of which is The Last Duel which you just watched moments before we started this show. Mm-hmm. It is the movie that is going to be directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer. And it also has Ben Affleck in a supporting role. But, I mean, that cast itself is incredible. And, of course, Ridley Scott, an amazing filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So we just watched that trailer, like I said. Dylan, what did you think? Well, I saw it yesterday. Like, I saw that it existed yesterday while I was at work, and I meant to watch it. And then seven-hour shift later, I I forgot it existed until right now when I saw it in the script. And I was like, wait, before we start recording, let me watch it real quick. Uh, it looks weird. It looks kind of strange. Just, I mean, it looks cool in the way that Gladiator was kind of cool because it's like, you know, it's history and it looks like how it probably would have looked kind of at the time. And it's got cool actors and cool makeup, but I was not a big fan of gladiator. And so I don't think I'm going to be a big fan of this movie. I don't know. I mean, Adam driver will break, will put me in that seat alone. Like regardless of Ridley Scott or Matt Damon or Ben Affleck or Jody Comer, Adam driver alone will put me in that theater seat to watch that movie alone. Everyone else is just, Sprinkled on added bonus, especially Jodie Comer. I love Jodie Comer. But I will go, I will see this movie, and I will let you know whether I like it or not. But as of right now, based on that trailer, based on what I saw, based on how weird it was, and based on how I did not like Gladiator, I don't think I'm going to like The Last Duel. Interesting. I also thought it was somewhat strange just because of the subject matter of it. Like the visual look of it, all of that stuff, I think will certainly be fine. Definitely a lot of striking hairdos in there. Mm-hmm. But it certainly looks like a an amazing period piece. Like the production design, design and costuming all did their jobs for sure. Yeah. But the subject matter of it where like the duel itself is pertaining to these two men that are essentially fighting over whether or not one of them raped the wife of the other. I was like, uh like just because of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's history with Harvey Weinstein and whatnot, and they both wrote this movie, co-wrote it with uh, Nicole Holofcener. Center. Um, I don't know. It was just a little suspect to me that that is like this them reuniting in terms of screenwriting is on a story like this. So it'll be interesting to see how this gets received um, and how ultimately they execute that vision. 
Because mm-hmm. it's certainly, I mean, drama-filled subject matter, right? Yeah. But in this day and age, with the particular histories they had with certain industry figures, just a strange movie to go ahead and make. I don't know. But in terms of what we've actually seen so far of the movie itself, and disregarding some of the context around the people involved, I'll definitely watch it. Like you said, Adam Driver's just on a roll. I mean, that man, mm-hmm. I think, is probably... Like in this day and age where Hollywood stars don't really exist anymore, I think he's one of the few that do. Yeah. So again, him, I'll definitely come in. And then also because, I mean, I do love Ridley Scott. I do love Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. So I'm down. What about Jodie Comer? I haven't seen much of her. So I'm you need to watch Killing soon. Eve. Killing uh, yeah, Eve is I haven't watched so her. good. She's in that show? She's like, she's, the star, in, right? she's Eve. No, she's not Eve. She's the one trying to kill Eve, but she's oh. incredible. <laughs> she is. Sandra O oh is Eve. And um, they both just kill it. Yeah, I heard a lot of great things about that show when it first came out. Um, did not know Jodie Comer was a part of that show. Uh, mm-hmm. that show. So this will probably be my first experience with it. And then, yeah, depending on how much I like it, I may get that extra push to go ahead and watch Killing Eve. I think I'm more excited for the other Ridley Scott Adam Driver movie coming out this year because there's two and the other one is House of Gucci I think I'm more excited for that it looks more fun Adam Driver looks like he's gonna have more fun I like the way his character's dressed and he's married to Lady Gaga and I like Lady Gaga for the most part for the most part I mean you remember that whole press store thing she did for A Star is Born where she said the same thing a billion times I do not I did not pay attention to the press store every every time someone asked her a question she said um there could be a hundred people in the room and 99 of them don't believe in you. But as long as that one person does believe in you, you can succeed. And for me, that person was Bradley Cooper. And she said that word for word a <laughs> hundred times in a hundred different rooms. I guarantee you. It was her go-to phrase. Like it's, It was like someone came to her and was like, when you're on the press tour, make sure you say this. And she said, okay. And then said it every single time, word for word. It's You can look up a video and it just is clips of her saying the exact same thing. And Bradley Cooper is just sitting next to her like, you gotta stop saying the same thing over and over again. Like you, you can't just you can't just repeat yourself like this. Because she had to make sure if there were ninety nine times where someone wasn't listening, there had to be the one one person where they who was. understood. And it was Bradley Cooper because he was sitting next to her the entire time. That's funny. Our next trailer is quite a turn from the last duel and from House of Gucci. It is Turning Red, which is a new Pixar film coming from uh, Domi Shi, who. You may remember from the Pixar short Val, which was universally beloved as it should be. So from the success of that, she got her own feature film. Did you catch the trailer for Turning Red? I did. And I did catch it. I remember hearing about this coming out. I remember thinking that this was like sort of like new age Pixar rather than old age Pixar, where it's kind of like the good dinosaur or like... Uh, onward and I was kind of like oh I don't know if I'm gonna like this and then watching that trailer it just looks so cute and fun that I don't care I don't care if it's new age or old age it just looks like it's good like I think I'm going to like it that's awesome I definitely think it is new age Pixar and for me that does make me a bit skeptical I was not Mm. grabbed particularly by anything that was in the trailer so I don't know it's a concept as well of like, okay, so this person's turning into something else, which I feel like Pixar has already touched on a lot before. Like whatever emotional message they convey with this um, character turning into a red panda 
uh, whenever they experience like heavy emotions or I guess mm-hmm. just anger um, or distress. I'm not sure if it'll if they'll be able to pull that off in a way that's truly inventive, but it is Pixar and betting against Pixar is never really smart. So I will still end up watching it most likely because mm-hmm. I think the only Pixar movie I haven't seen is Good Dinosaur. Um, that one just definitely did not uh-huh. pique my interest at all. Yeah, so I haven't I think seen I that probably... one. I haven't seen Luca either yet still. Oh, God. I probably should at some point. You should. Especially uh, if I'm going to do that decathlon. Oh, for real. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be your extra motivation for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I will go see it, I think, definitely. Just because, again, what she did with Bao was amazing. So I definitely mm. want to see what she ends up doing with this. Um, but so far, other than the fact that it is Domishi doing it and Pixar, nothing mm. else. Like this, if this were a DreamWorks movie or just Illumination or some other thing, I'd be like, eh. Seems okay so far. So we'll see how that ends up turning out. I think what blew my mind was when I read the description, it just said she turned into a red panda. And I was like, that's kind of simple. Like anyone can do that. It's kind of boring. And I think the only people who could pull off a story kind of like that is Studio Ghibli, I guess. And then when I watched the trailer, she turns into a giant red panda. Like I didn't (laughs) know she became huge. And that is a game changer for me. I think that's funny. All kinds of trouble out of that. For sure. So turning into Red Panda, not enough stakes, not enough conflict, but no, a giant no. Red Panda. Yeah, a seeing her jump through the jump onto the buildings and stuff is funny. I think I'll have fun with this movie. At the very least, I will have fun. Yeah, it does seem very cute. I hope they can touch me emotionally though. Right. But we'll see. Another trailer that came out, another big turn, uh big switch from turning red is Blue Bayou. This is a full-on drama. It premiered recently at the Cannes Film Festival. It has Justin Chan as the writer, director, and star, starring alongside Alicia Vikander. Uh, It's about the struggles of a Korean immigrant who has been in America his entire life, but recently finds out through an encounter with the police that he's at risk of being deported because he was brought over illegally when he was just three years old. So it follows uh, the legal struggles of him trying to not get kicked out of the country and also trying to still support his family, both financially and emotionally during such a time. Were you able to see this trailer? I've never even heard of this movie until right now. Really interesting. I didn't know it existed. It seems interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's, one of those films that I think is trying to be an Oscar film. Um, um, like it has like that, Oscar Beatty, like somewhat of a melodramatic angle to it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, when you heard me talking about the description, you can already sort of see that that has a lot of the potential to be an Oscar film or something that like the distribu- distributor would try to push uh, for the nomination. Mm-hmm. When watching it, I don't like I felt conflicted because part of it I could see like, oh, this does seem like one of those films that it's really trying to be that like it's trying to be really profound and have such a strong message and touch on issues of the day, which certainly should be featured. But I was wondering if it had anything really special to it beyond that. Yeah, Um, it looks like Justin John, who I'm not too familiar with his work. He's sort of 
up and coming. Mm-hmm. Like he's only had a couple recent indie films. He looks good in the role. The man also sounds just like Norman Reedus, who plays really? Daryl Dixon, yeah, in uh-huh. Walking Dead. Um, which is like, like, there's one line who, if I close my eyes, I, I'm also like, it sounded just like a line that Daryl has said in the show, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's funny to me, but he looks really cool in this role. Um, and it seems like his acting will certainly be great. But as far as the direction goes and the writing of it, I just don't know if it'll truly match something like, I don't know, Nomadland, like that sort of personal character study story. Mm-hmm. Um, if this film, which it seems like that's the lane it's trying to take, if it'll match up. But okay. it is something to look out for because, like I said, it was in the can lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe it comes out in September. So that's another film we should have on the radar. Turning Red, that's like 2022, right? It could be, yes. I think it is. Yeah, I think we got our Pixar so. films of the year so far. So yeah, that one will be next year. We don't have any more coming out this year. I thought there was one more. I'd be so because that'd be well it was just Soul and... was like in the end of twenty twenty, right? So Luca's technically Yeah, Turning Red is twenty twenty two. But I thought there was one between Luca and Turning Red, but I could be wrong. Also Sandra O oh is in Turning Red. So like of oh, course I'm gonna that. love it. It's awesome. Uh, but yeah some nice new films with some new trailers to look forward to Encanto Encanto is coming out wait is that, is that Disney? I think that's just straight Disney yeah double check that but I think it is just, it's a Disney musical what the heck what did I looked up Pixar lineup and Encanto was the first thing that came up stupid yeah. thing it'd be because that'd be very similar to Coco wouldn't it and I mean I know it's already I mean Disney's still why because they're both that. Hispanic well, no, but isn't the story like very much similar as well? No, like some traveling to some not spiritual world, but some magical element. Not, no, it's it's basically there's a family, and everyone in the family has special powers that are unique to them, except for one person. She's just a normal human being, and it's just about her living with her special family when she doesn't have any powers. Gotcha. So not not really Coco at all. I see. Either way, not Pixar, right? It's straight Disney. Yeah, it's just turning red, and then after that is Lightyear, the the Buzz Lightyear biopic <laughs> about the fictional Buzz Lightyear astronaut that that the toy from Toy Story was based on, starring Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear the astronaut, and then something that is to be announced that will be coming out in twenty twenty three that we have no idea what it is. Gotcha. Well, alrighty, a good lineup there. And finally, somewhat a trailer talk, somewhat not. Dune, which as you know, Dylan, is one of my most anticipated films of the year. Mm-hmm. It is having its new trailer debut in IMAX today, which is when we're filming it, Wednesday. Whoa. Um, and it also is supposed to release the first like 10 minutes, like only in those special screenings in the IMAX theaters of the trailer it's supposed to release the first 10 minutes of mm-hmm. dune and Ooh. i don't know if i'll be able to go but i did pick up some tickets online for the imax screening that's happening at the altamont mall it's at 7 p.m and i work 
until seven. So I don't think it'll happen. But if I'm but, able, wait, to is get it on, is it just tickets just to see the first ten minutes? It's the trailer in the first like ten to fifteen minutes. Yeah, that's all it is. How much is the tickets for it's that? a special screening? Oh, it's free. So it's oh, okay, movie. okay. Yeah. I was gonna say like, did you pay money just to see ten minutes of a movie? No. Okay. Well, if you are able to make it somehow, let me know. I will. Because that'd not, be really... not give me your ticket. I'll go see it. I'll go tell you how it is. <laughs> we'll have to see on that. Because it's one of those, because they do the thing because they're trying to make it like a big event. So they, I think, give all, give out more tickets um, than there are seats in the actual theater. Just so that mm-hmm. if people are like unable to make it, they still have a full house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if I'm not able to end up getting out somewhat early, then I could maybe try to do something like that. I could email you my ticket. I probably and you can go it. on my behalf. But it's also Altamont, yeah, and you're like way far from yeah Altamont nowadays. So I think you you can just try and get like an early release at work and just book it. Yeah, but that'd be yeah. so cool. I'm so excited for Dune. They also just released character posters, mm-hmm. which not like anything we haven't seen before the people in their costumes but i'm getting hyped up man there was um there was one that i saw that was funny it was one that was making fun of it and i'm gonna send it to you later i can't say what it is because i don't want to spoil it but there was a funny one that someone made that alexa showed me and i'll text it to you also i went to uh this has something to do with like how theaters present things like we were talking about with dune but i went to disney springs recently and i was passing by the amc and they had decked it out Black Widow style. Like, they had big banners for Black Widow, like, big red carpet for it, cool uh, projecting lights onto the big wall of it. So when, whenever there's a Marvel movie coming out, I'm going to go watch a Disney Springs because the presentation of that is super cool. Like, I like the way that they're doing it. And I know they'll do it for all their Disney movies, for any Star Wars movies or Marvel movies that come out. So I'm going to go. If you live in Central Florida and you want to see a Marvel movie with a cool atmosphere, go to AMC Disney Springs. Mm. There you go. The plug for hey, the company you don't Springs. work for. I mean, maybe they'll pay me one day. You'll never know. Yeah, you can switch over. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and take this time to say, I'm I'm leaving Regal for good. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> Goodbye, Are Regal. You? Last time I went there, it was horrible. There was just it was messy. Popcorn over the floor. They didn't have water cups. Which one did that? you go to? That was when we were Waterford. at my place. Well, we went and saw it at Waterford. And I went again recently for another movie, and it was still just bad. And then I went to AMC in Altamont to go watch Black Widow. Beautiful. It was beautiful. It was clean. They had everything in stock. It, there was actually busy. There was people there. Regal is just on the downfall, and AMC has survived the pandemic. And so I am officially endorsing amc as the national chain to go to i am not gonna do that i'm still a regal baby i will continue going to the Oviedo mall just to make sure it survives oh it's dead honey <laughs> have you have you gone and seen what they've done to the macy's the old macy's the whole parking lot of that section is blocked off and covered in weeds and there's just boards all over them it just looks horrible like they should do something with that space like my god well i mean it's been used as a covid vaccination center has it not for the past 
a few months since the vaccine. I don't know, but but not anymore. If, the answer if to it, that, well, they should still be doing it. I don't know why they weren't. But the answer to that is at least a couple months ago, like late April and May, that was the case. Because that's where I got my vaccine. It's still, it still like it looks it horrible. It looks so bad. Well, the only thing that's working there is the Eat District play <laughs> and the movie theater. That's a and the Sarku, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and the food court. Certain, certain places in the food court, yeah. The subway, the Sarku, and the Chick-fil-A will always be there. But everything the subway's else. gone. The subway's gone? Yeah. Oh, it's they out. fell under. It's just the Sarku and the Chick-fil-A now. They're the only survivors of the old reign of the food court. Everything For else real. is dead. Long live Sarku and Chick-fil-A. Cup pasta, though. I mean, that's been a staple. Oh, you're right. You're it's right. Like, but it wasn't there originally. It wasn't an original. At least, at least I don't remember it being an original. But cup pasta will be there forever as well. Hopefully, uh, yeah. People love put, cup pasta. I don't know what they're putting in place of Subway, but they should put. I guess I don't know why that fell under. I don't know what they're a doing firehouse there, subs. But they should put a firehouse there. <laughs> I knew firehouse you were is say so that. good, dude. It's so good. The only thing I've gotten there is the meatball sub, and the meatball sub was pretty good. But I don't eat red meat anymore, so mm-hmm. fuck you, firehouse subs. <laughs> Get a turkey bacon ranch, you'll be fine. Or the Cajun I don't chicken. I can't eat bacon. Oh well, get a turkey ranch. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds disgusting. It's just turkey and ranch on a sandwich, and it's way too much ranch. I mean, you could have them fluctuate the levels of ranch they get on there. Plus, you get it fully involved. You get the lettuce, tomato. Don't really, all that stuff. don't really like ranch that much. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Not as much as I used to. Well, then I don't know what to tell you, man. It's still good. All right, we've gone on way too much of a tangent. Yeah, that was massive. Yeah. (laughs) I digress. Now let's go back to the box office breakdown for the week of uh, July 16th to July 18th. And our first position is Space Jam, A New Legacy, unsurprisingly, with $31 You say unsurprisingly, but people were, I don't know Okay, a little surprised. surprised. A little surprised because it beat out Black Widow. If If Black Widow wasn't there, it'd be unsurprising. Right. I... Always, because as we've discussed many times in the box office breakdown for the past few weeks in the pandemic, there's going to be a big drop off in the second weekend, especially for big blockbusters that open big. So it's not surprising that Black Widow had a massive fall of 68%. This weekend, it got 25 million. Uh, Its opening was 80 million. So again, pretty, like, certainly impressive. That was the biggest opening of the pandemic era so far. But yeah, we always knew it was going to drop big. And Space Jam, I think it was probably because people weren't expecting Space Jam to grow so much. Mm. Which, I'll admit, I mean, $31 million is pretty impressive because that's on par with what Godzilla vs. Kong was. Yeah, And that's far more of a, let's go out to the theaters and watch it as compared to a let's just stay at home and watch it on HBO Max. Space I Jam. think the fact that Space Jam had a lot more people going that route, going to the theaters instead of staying at home, is impressive for them. Good on LeBron James and the Looney Tune family for that. But returning to Black Widow, its 68% drop is, like I said, on par with what F9 did. And currently, it has $130 million total in terms of domestic gross. It's at like $230-$40 million worldwide right now. That's not bad. So, yeah, it's doing fine for itself. Week. Yeah, it'll definitely cross the f9 to become the number one movie so far Mm -hmm. domestically 
It'll just take maybe one or two more weeks, but that's definitely gonna happen. So Marvel will be back on their top position at the box office. But yeah, number three this week is Escape Room 2 with 8.8 million. This one was, I believe, only in theaters. It's interesting. Did you ever see the first Escape Room? I did not. Yeah, I'm surprised that enough people went to it that it got a sequel. But if their budget was very low, then hopefully they'll be able to scrounge up their money from this and any premium video on demand sales whenever mm-hmm. it does go to that. But yeah. good for Escape Room 2. Made it in the top three. And in fourth place is F9. With 7.6 million, that is its fourth weekend with a 32% drop. It is over 150 million domestic. It is just about to surpass a quiet place too in that regard, and it is at 590 million worldwide. In terms of my box office draft, 590 million so far. It seems like it's definitely going to cross 600. I don't think it'll quite reach 700. It'll somewhere be somewhere in the middle. So I think overall, it's not a bad choice. I think I did okay. Yeah, I it think, could have been a lot better, but I think it's okay. Yeah, I think six thirty will be its ceiling. I don't know if it'll even reach that. It does still have those European markets, but I think around this time is where it's going to run out of steam domestically, which will yeah have it be the worst performing since probably Fast Five, mm-hmm. where it'll be under two hundred million domestic. I don't think it'll be able to cross that. So. Yeah, definitely still good. Still got above 500 mil, which it absolutely needed to. It'll get to 600 mil, which is nice, but doesn't reach the heights of Hobbs and Shaw nor Fast and Furious 8. Certainly not uh, Furious 7. That one was always going to be a pipe dream post-pandemic, but Mm -hmm. yeah, didn't quite get the 700 mil or 800 mil that you would need to give you a nice head start. Yeah. But... Still did well. Still did really well for itself. Speaking of Fast Five, have you seen it yet? Did you watch it? Not yet. No. What the heck? You gotta watch it. You well, said you, you would. Did. I I won that <laughs> argument. I you won. did. Yes. I mean, I will when I have the time. We were supposed to go over to their house though, Ryan Mayers and Kirk, and we? watch it there. Well, yeah, they invited us, and that'd be pretty funny to go watch it with them. It would so, be, especially because Ryan wasn't paying attention during that movie. I know, it'll be his first time watching it. It'll be <laughs> my first time watching it. It'll be amazing. So yeah, we can do that, because I think it'd be fun to watch it like with you. Yeah, you gotta Make plan that out. I work, within... just to let you know, I work Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Is that like your constant schedule now? Currently, yes. Okay, gotcha. Then yeah, we can work around that, because this next week I'll be on set, so that'll be a no-go. And then after that, we can figure it out. Okay, anyway, <laughs> after F9 is the Boss Baby family business with 4.7 million. Disgusting. <laughs> the Forever Purge had 4.1 million. Disgusting. A Quiet Place 2 had 2.2 million in its eighth weekend, which, I mean, it's still holding on, I guess. It's got legs a little bit. It does, in fact, have legs. Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, got 1.9 million. Is that really the subtitle, Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain? 100%. Well, they had to distinguish between Looney Tune and Roadrunner <laughs> since Space Jam just came. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the actual subtitle. All right. After Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain is Cruella with 1.1 million. Disgusting. 
when he keeps saying disgusting to films you haven't even watched. You're right. You're right. I have a bias. I have, a I have a bias towards certain movies, and I should give them a chance. But I mean, come on, Cruella. You did Alexa, and you guys, you didn't watch that with her. No, I did not. She doesn't want to see it. No, she does not. Tragic. There's not even any Dalmatians in it. What's the point? Well, that's for the sequel, <laughs> which they may make. Um, all right, and in our tenth spot, with just under a million, is Pig, which stars. <laughs> Nick Cage. I wanted to see this so bad and I never got a chance. I still want to see it. It looks so funny. It looks so good. Yeah, it has a limited release, so Mm -hmm. you'll have to scavenge for it in some of the theaters, but it also looks wacky in all the right ways. So I kind of want to see that as well. It's just John Wick, but with a pig. And he's a truffle farmer. Someone (laughs) just steals his pig. He says, where's my pig? It the, looks like fun. The height of 2021 filmmaking, truly. I think I would like it. I think it looks cool. I think he looks cool. I want to have a good time watching that movie. That's what I'm saying. I want to have the Nick Cage renaissance that we deserve. I can't wait to now. watch the movie where he plays himself. That looks like so much fun. Yeah, when is that coming out? Do we know? I think it comes out this year. Because like, they're done filming, I'm pretty sure. And it's got Pedro Pascal in it. Oh, I want to watch it so bad. It looks so hilarious. Yeah, anyway, our box know. office predictions for this upcoming weekend. The big film that's coming out is Snake Eyes, starring Henry Golding. That is a G.I. Joe property. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, which I do, <laughs> I say $25 million. That is around the place where I would put it as well. It's G.I. Joe, so mm-hmm. there's at least some, some yeah IP there. It's also an action movie, and those have been doing pretty well in the pandemic era. But it's not. Yeah, it's gonna, just GI Joe. Like, yeah, it's not going to blow anyone away with it. It's, it's gonna, also a side story in the GI Joe world. So. It's going to bring out the GI Joe fans and the GI Joe fans alone, and then I'm sorry, and the Henry Golding fans, and that's it. I don't know if Henry Golding has enough of a fan base. To oh, he does. People love Henry Golding. We'll give him. People I think love Henry Golding. I like seeing him in more stuff. Is this? I don't know. I just don't know the logic behind a random G.I. Joe origin story for Snake Eyes at this point in time. I liked it more but, when he was a mystery. Like, he didn't know what he looked like underneath the mask. Right. If you're just yeah, going to show me that, oh, by the way, it's just Henry Golding. Like, what? It was yeah. cooler when he was mysterious. Yeah. So that also, who knows? I mean, G.I. Joe fans, in that sense, may uh, boycott the film. Yeah, Since they feel it isn't going to live up to the true character of Snake Eyes. But either way, it does seem like a fun little action film to go to. So that, I think, should definitely cross $20 million. As to how high it gets in the 20s, I'm not too sure. So $25 million feels like a safe bet, mm-hmm. um, especially since it is going to be theaters only, so there's not going to be a streaming service to worry about pulling some of the audience. So $25 million, I think, is a good bet there. Yeah. The other film coming out is called Old. It is a new M. Night Shyamalan film. I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the trailers. I'm never going to be one for a horror film or a Shyamalan film. But Not even The Sixth Sense? Like the I good mean, that's ones. good, but I mean, for the most part, I'm like, yeah. But this one, certainly I don't think looks particularly good. No. And I don't know if 
like his name alone will have enough pool for this to do a lot in the post-pandemic world that we're in right now. So I think it'll have enough to draw in 10 million. I think a little higher than that. I think maybe 14, 15 million just because I'll say 12 million max for me. Wow. 12 million is your ceiling. I think it can get at least the mid teens, 15 million around there. Well, it's just, it's competing with snake eyes and black widow still. Even though it's Black Widow's third weekend, Black Widow's still there. And so I just don't know if M. Night Shyamalan has the draw. Right, but there is, also, I mean, the movie people love not. horror movies. So. Yeah, people love bad horror movies, yeah. <laughs> so they'll go see I, it. I hope it's good for his sake. He has not had a hit in a long time. Split was alright. I remember liking Split a little bit, but Glass was apparently really bad. The... What was the village? I did not like the village that much. What was the one? The visit? I didn't. The visit wasn't very good. Apparently, the village is okay. The village has moments. I suppose the because you know how he's like got twists, right? Yeah. The first twist in the village is very predictable, but the second twist, that one got me. Like he actually got me on that one. Most of the time, it's boring. I don't like signs. I don't like signs. I'm trying to remember all his movies. Unbreakable is okay. And Six Sense is good. That's gotcha. about it. There you go. That's all There's his movies I can remember. Dylan's speedrun of the Shyamalan films. Yeah. One word reviews. <laughs> all right. So we will see there. So yeah, I think it'll come Snake Eyes probably old. Well, because I'm also trying to think, like, what order will they come in? I think Snake Eyes will be number one. Yes. And then... Hmm. I think it'll be close to see like where Black Widow and Old end up. And Black Widow will do better than Space Jam because I think Space Jam will have a hard second week fall. It will. But I don't know. I think Old may come just on top of Black Widow. And then Space Jam? And then, yeah. Like Black Widow, then Space Jam? Yeah, Snake Eyes, Old, uh, Black Widow, then Space Jam. I could see that, but I could also see maybe Old... And Black Widow switching, like it's the only thing I might change there. I think Black Widow might might have just enough of a pull to do a little bit better than old. Gotcha. Well, we will see next week, and that brings us to our discussion of Black Widow itself. What did you think about this film, Dylan? It is directed by Kate Shortland, starring, of course, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I misspelled her name terribly in the script. Um, and Florence Pugh, David Harbour, Rachel Weisz, Ray Winstone. So a very solid cast. What did you think of this film? The, what, 23rd, 20-something film in the MCU? So Our newest since the pandemic? So when, when we talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you described it as frustratingly passable. Yes. And for this movie, I like to describe it as frustratingly not passable <laughs> like i just like, wish i it's so close it's so close and i wish it was better but it just does not do the trick for me it just doesn't do it the humor was off the opening scene is the best part the humor was off canter a little bit and then it just by the time you get to the third act it just falls apart and just becomes horrible and it sucks and that's a real big bummer that is a bummer for me i thought it was 
just okay. Like I wasn't frustrated enough in this because I was frustrated because I it was, could have been better, and I know yeah. it could have been better, and it just wasn't, and that sucks. I agree with that a hundred percent. But then I was also not like riled up enough to be frustrated about it all. I just was more passively accepting the fact that this could have been way better, and also could have been a movie that came out years ago. And I think in that sense would have been better because um, I just don't get the logic behind making this the Black Widow. Like this is her send off. This is the final thing we see or allegedly the final thing we'll see of her. So I don't know. I was just like, eh, eh. It's also got really good moments in it that make me, which is part for the course for most MCU things. Like a lot of it, is just lukewarm stuff, but then they have these flashes of really interesting things. But it's not enough. It's not enough to raise it's not the enough. rest of the the film. It's not enough to elevate it. So let's unpack this bit here. We can go somewhat in chronological order of the movie. You mentioned the opening scene as the best part. I a hundred percent agree. I was like when I got into this film and I watched that opening scene in the credits, I was like, oh snap. Is this I was about captivated. To be a legitimately great MCU film. I was. So I was looking forward to like legit spy thriller. That's, like, that's what, what I thought it was going to be, and then it just wasn't. Yeah. So the that opening, the whole bit about them being the sleeper cell agents, and them having to go on the run, even though like at this point we know what's going to happen. Like they're obviously going to be okay. We know Scarlett Johansson surely is going to be okay, but I was still hit by all of that tension that they were building up in it and the airstrip chase itself when they were going on that plane and then yeah, the that was well come onto the highway. Yeah, I was I thought the filmmaking standpoint of it was really good and the actors that they had, like the child actors for Scarlett Johansson I thought was really good. That's for uh, Natasha rather, but that's um someone's daughter. It's Mila Jovovich his daughter. Oh, look at that. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. Um, so that that part, again, I was really invested in it. And then the credits, the opening credits, which I thought was interesting because that's another thing we don't see much of. We definitely have those like, animated sort of stylish credits that we have at the end of the film, usually right before the first post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. But this time they brought it up to the very beginning, and it was so dark. Like, it was definitely playing into that tone of, ooh, this massive conspiracy of assassins um, in the Black Widows, them, like, sort of running the show and influencing events. It was, because, like, if I were a kid watching this, I were, like, seven, eight years old, and this is one of the first Marvel movies I'm seeing, I would have been scared, I think, looking at that stuff. Like, there was definitely a lot of creepy imagery. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, because I was like, this is... It's captivating. Yeah, it's doing something different and it is setting up for the story to have that spy thriller tone and storyline, which is what I was hoping for in the film. So the very beginning was great. Moving on to uh, the introduction of Florence Pugh's character, Yelena Belova. I also think for the most part, we were still really strong here because I... Love Florence Pugh. Of course. With all of my heart. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the character introduction, I think, was 
pretty bad, but the more we got to see of her was good. Um, yeah. The opening moment where it was like horrible editing. Like it took me out of the movie instantly when she was chasing the one person then she got hit by the door yeah. and got hit by the car when the door where she was and then where she got hit by the car were at least five seven feet away um i was like what what was that that was so bad and then the mm-hmm. i felt like we got catapulted into the plot line of okay the mind control and this random mcguffin serum to clear it up yeah it happened way too quick it was like yeah. all of a sudden like the whole time we're we're just watching her character do something and then all of a sudden we realize oh she's brainwashed oh this is a serum that fixes it oh she just killed her friend oh she has to go save everybody else and it's like you did that all and within a minute is too much at yeah. once you're escalating the plot too quick without any backstory and that's too much i agree so the way they did it i agree was too quick and then i it also that was the turning point where i realized okay so this isn't going to be a particularly grounded spy thriller because we're already doing some mind control serum stuff Mm. which okay i could buy into but it just felt like already we were back in the world of like this is going to be somewhat outlandish we know that there's not any crazy superpowers so they wanted to spice it up with something fantastical or outlandish like that and for me i think that was a disservice to the overall film. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. I just think it's kind of strange. But everything else with Florence Pugh's character, I think is a lot of fun. I think she's the only character that actually has humorous moments. I think they all try to have humorous moments, but they're not funny. And the humor falls flat a lot of the time. And even with Yelena, it only happens rarely. Like, the humor in this movie is... is it's hurting. It's hurting the film because they're like, it's an MC movie. We have to have lighthearted fun. We have to add in jokes and it just feels forced, way too forced. And it's just not fun anymore. Like it was fun in Avengers and it was fun in Thor Ragnarok and it's not fun anymore because you're just forcing it in to to fill seats and that's not cool. But Yelena has some good moments, has some funny moments, but overall the humor falls flat, which sucks. Yeah, I agree with that fully as well. There were certain moments where I just knew that I was like, okay, we found a joke shortly. They're about to cut the tension or cut the emotion of a scene with some random joke here shortly. And then about every single time it did happen. And so I think they need to find a way to still include some of the comedy if they want, but it needs to come out of the characters it needs to be more natural like even avengers endgame it is a very seriously toned movie but it has humorous moments and but it comes naturally like even that's done a lot better than this and yeah. i don't know it just humorless to me it's not funny it does not make me laugh yeah one of the characters alexi slash the red guardian played by david harbour had i think certain moments that were out of place comedy um, just making him seem like this goofball that we don't take seriously, which in some elements I could think, okay, that's an interesting way to take this character. But overall, I felt like it was just not fleshing him out enough. It was making him somewhat superficial and uninteresting, like sort of one note. So 
that character I felt like they could have done a little bit better with. Also, them breaking them out of prison the way that they did that. It was horrible. Yeah, it went against the time because I wanted a nice, tightly uh, paced, well-written espionage. Thriller. Yeah, espionage thing where we're seeing them, okay, crack these interesting clans um, that are actually smart and clever and using their wits, like using all the skills that they have built up over their lives of being trained assassins. No, they just got a helicopter and flew yeah, in and said, get to us, get to us. <laughs> Jump up, quick, jump, break through, just run through everything. Just and they cause an avalanche that kills everybody in the prison. <laughs> and it's like, you guys are professional spies. You can break them out quietly. You do this for a living. I'm like, come on. Yeah, that was like the avalanche set piece. I like that. I was like, okay, that's an interesting way to do things. But the more you think about it, the more you're like, why would they have? That's just another moment of. How can we spice it up and make it a big action set piece instead of making it be something that results from the characters? Again, them being trained assassins, they would do it more quietly. They would try not to draw attention to themselves. Because don't you think Drakov would keep tabs on Alexei and would know, hey, he just got broken out of a prison and then avalanche happened and killed all the rest of them. Maybe I should pay attention to that. Yeah. Track down whoever did that. Like, it just seems just portrays a lot of the character that we that should be there for Natasha and Yelena but I guess it looked cool yeah not a fan pretty stupid anything Mm -hmm. else you disliked or liked about it Ryan so just to speed run some of the other stuff I did like the family dynamic like having that be the emotional center of the film Mm -hmm. I enjoyed because the sisterly bond that develops between Natasha and Yelena, I did believe, I thought that was where the film was its strongest, was them two just talking, um, having dialogue going back and forth. That bit, I really enjoyed. When they arrived at the mother's farm and they're chatting at the dinner table, mm-hmm. I also liked that because it was Natasha calling out the fact that the whole family is fake. And right now she's just trying to use those individuals, the person who pretended to be her mother and pretended to be her father, she's just trying to utilize them to get the information that she needs in order to finish the job with Drakov. But for Elena, this was her coming back to her family. Like it is a reunion because she was so young. She wasn't told about the fact that they were not a real family, um, that they were all just plants. So it was real to her. So I liked that dynamic as well the american pie bit where he sings that song and it's a callback to that opening scene um and that's sort of the demonstration of no i did care about this family i like that as well um so those particular instances i thought were the film at its strongest some things that i thought were dumb is like you said a lot of the third act yeah the whole thing with the pheromones and being like you can't kill me or you can't hurt me at all mm-hmm. it was such a weird direction to go it was so strange it was very but, stupid but it somewhat makes sense for someone who would be like Drakov, who would try to have all these people under his thumb it's somewhat believable for that but then again it's one of those things in this film that should have been a grounded spy thriller that 
makes it just not as interesting as it could have been. The way she goes about dealing with it, like her getting punched in the face to break the nerve ending and eventually doing it herself. Like if we buy into the whole pheromone thing happening, then okay, that was an interesting way to get out of it. I enjoyed that. It was I like that scene a lot when she breaks her own nose. I think that's right. cool, but the setup for it is stupid. Yes, I agree. So I just yeah, wish they had done that better. A hundred percent. Um also the whole face cloaking thing where she like immediately got found out, I thought was kinda ridiculous. It also didn't really make sense that they needed to do that. And then they tried um, to do like the flashback to explain it, kind of like an Ocean's Eleven plot to us kind of thing. And yeah. it's like you did this too quick again. It's like all of a sudden they're getting kidnapped and then they're there and then it's a plot twist. Like, ooh, uh, like it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Yeah, I agree. It was a little clunky the way they tried to intercut those two brief flashbacks to them explaining the plan. Mm-hmm. Then the whole taskmaster situation. Ugh. I thought the reveal was fine. It was very predictable that that's where they were going. But they shouldn't have used Taskmaster, the character, to do it because it—that's not really Taskmaster. Then they just did another thing where they took a recognizable character name, and they said, "Let me put this in this movie in order to conjure up some more interest in it and to get people in the theater." But this person isn't actually Taskmaster. It's not what they're doing at all. Um, so again, I mean, that's fine. Just don't call it Taskmaster. Don't try to include a villain that people have been wanting to see, but have their role in the film and their whole backstory and all that be changed and be entirely different from Taskmaster. Like, just don't recycle the name yeah. for something that's completely different. It just seems ridiculous that the way they got around it being a plot twist was to stick, uh, what's her name? Olga Kuryanko? Kuryanko? I think it's mm-hmm. Kurochenko. They just stuck her in this giant suit to make you think it's a man the whole time. And right. it is a the stunt performer is a man. And then they take off her helmet and she is this like tiny head on this giant body. And it just looks stupid. And it's like it looks horrible. It looks so bad when they take off her helmet. It, it did look very it looked like the Mark Ruffalo in the big Hulkbuster suit. No, it's like clearly like, just doesn't match. That's the episode of SpongeBob where he rips off the guy's head and there's a tiny head underneath it, and he says something like, um, "The people at the the head correction facility said nobody would notice." <laughs> it looked like that. Yeah, it was. It was a very strange direction going. Again, the reveal itself was fine, but then I also think they part of the motivation for doing that was. They wanted to make us feel less bad about the fact that Nat, Natasha chose to kill this child as collateral when she was trying to kill Drakov, which still had no idea how either of them survived that. It must have been a bad bomb if it wasn't able to finish the job for either of them. But again, using that as motivation for like why Natasha wants to be better and why she ended up joining the Avengers, I really liked um, but then they, I think, do this in a way to be like, well, see, it wasn't that bad the whole time. She just almost killed him. And then Dracov just used her as a vessel for carrying out his plans for the 20-ish years after that. Exactly. Or I guess maybe not that long, but like 10-ish years after that. It, 
I think is one of those things that the MCU has done a lot of recently where they try to give complexity to their characters, but then they don't want to go all the way with it. They yeah. don't want us to fully see Scarlet Witch as a villain, even though she most certainly was the villain in WandaVision. Yeah, they don't they, want us to see their characters as flawed, even yeah. though flaws are what make characters interesting. That's what I'm saying. So, like, they should they continue to address these things and, like, bring them up, but they don't fully lean into them, which I think always ends up doing a disservice to the characters. They do the that everything except Loki, and we'll get to that. Yeah. That'll be so, nice. The other element is, again, the third act. They're in a big sky ship, and they're plummeting to the ground, and they're doing the skydiving. They pulled a point break on us, <laughs> just skydiving. It, it was, again, not what I wanted out of a Black Widow movie. It was okay, but the CGI got really bad towards the end here. I don't know oh, what happened yeah. to their budget, but it got really noticeable. And it was during one of the like crucial scenes as well when she was, I think maybe it was when Elena was about to stab the airship or something, and it goes to a close up on her face. And it was just so bad, you couldn't focus on what they were, what the scene was trying to do because of the CGI, the like green screen was so obvious. But I don't know, I don't get why they went for it again. Also, the very very ending when they just did a cop out and didn't show her getting away from uh general ross and all the people showing up like how 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 was she able to do that alone as well like she could have gone on the airship and left but what was she doing she just stayed behind looked out into the sun but then still got away i mean i don't know little sense. i thought hang on because i think that has to do with god what is it so civil war happens she's on the run when is her next appearance? Is it Infinity War? It can't be. I think it is. Like, that's the next time that she would show up, yeah. You're right, because it's the train, and then there's Captain America and Black Widow. So she has to get away. Yeah, yeah that's stupid. I, I don't understand. It is dumb, because I wish they would have, because again, I didn't really remember when she next showed up. I thought that she was going to turn herself in. Because I was just, thinking about the time where she got in front of the the board of directors or something and like talked, it's like she just gave that speech to the to the council or whatever. <laughs> but that was after uh, Winter Soldier, not Civil War. So right. yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I wish they would have had her just end up giving herself up and accepting the consequences of what she had done, and that also would have tied in nicely to the guilt she has around Taskmaster, um, right, Dracov's daughter, so that she ends up being like, okay, I'm going to stop being on the run. I'm going to do what I have to do. Like, if the Avengers are her newfound family, she's going to be with them. And if that means getting arrested like the rest of them, fine. It seemed, again, to sort of betray elements of what this story was doing, to have her be like, okay, now that we did all that, I'm going to break them out and we're going to be criminals yeah. on the run again for years. It's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it is stupid. Anyway, what did you think of that post-credit scene? We have Yelena. She's at the grave of Natasha back in Ohio. She does the whistle and then Julia Lee Dreyfus's character shows up and offers her a chance to work for her to take down Hawkeye by saying that Hawkeye is the, the reason that 
Black Widow is dead. What do you think of that post credit scene? I think it's kind of dumb. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. It's stupid. <laughs> it's horrible. Because no one's going to believe that she's going to end up like actually meaningfully taking on Clint. Like We know they're going to end up teaming up or something like that. So I don't know why they would even in this this post credit scene try to set up that conflict. Um, I mean, I'm certainly excited for any further appearances of Yelena. Because once again, Florence Pugh is incredible. But to frame it in this way, I don't know if it's actually that compelling. Because no one believes it. No one's actually going to think that they're going to go at each other's throats for very long. So, I just... What is Julia Louis-Dreyfus's plan? Why does know. she want Hawkeye out of the picture? We don't even know. If we knew. If we knew, like... She wants Hawkeye out of the picture for this reason. It would be okay. Like, I'd get it. I'd understand. I'd be like, oh, she's just trying to use Yelena for this such reason. But there's no reason. Like, what's the point? Yeah, and she's recruited John Walker and now Yelena. And for what? To come up with, like, this other form of the Avengers to attack who? Like, now they're trying to get rid of hawkeye for what it's just weird it's strange watching this subplot be set up because we know because it's interesting we know nothing about it and it's being set up to be something that we know nothing about but nobody cares because we have the main subplot being set up like in loki which is the multiversal war and we also don't know nothing about it or what's going to happen but we know enough that we care they give us just enough information that we're excited and we care about it but with the subplot of Julia Louis-Dreyfus' characters, the setup of her new team is, it's like, we don't know enough about what she's trying to do, so we don't care enough. If they gave us little hints about her plans, maybe. If we knew more, because there's just such obscurity when it comes to, what is it? What's the, it's, her team is called what? Is it the Revengers? There's something. And the Secret Avengers, I don't know. They have some, they have an actual team name in the comics and they do so many different things we have no idea because sometimes they're good guys sometimes they're bad guys we have no idea what the plan is it's weird like right it's very strange they could definitely set up her parts better okay how many red runes out of five i'm gonna give it two and a half two and a half yep it's just because it's a nothing movie like i i've forgotten half of it already (laughs) i saw it two weeks ago it's just it doesn't set up much it's not a great ending. To, like The ending in Endgame was better for Natasha than this one. This was right. not like a solid ending for her. I am I was bored most of the time. I didn't care a lot of it. It wasn't funny. The, its biggest problem is that, for the most part, it is kind of boring. Like That is unforgivable, especially with a movie that is supposed to be about action and excitement. It is just so plain to me. Nothing new, nothing interesting. Very upsetting that this was the way that we had to say goodbye to Natasha. I will choose to ignore this movie and forever say goodbye through Endgame. Yeah, for real. I'll probably give it, just because when I was watching it, I was enjoying, again, a lot of those moments with Natasha and Yelena. So probably biased in that sense, just because I like watching them. But I'll probably give it a three out of five which is liable to decrease over time, I think, because as you said, it is quite forgettable. And then in the grand scheme of things, it's not relevant to the MCU at all. 
Yeah. This is a film that should have come out years ago, should have been made years ago, but they didn't pull the trigger on it. For what reason? I don't know. So it's in this weird situation where it comes out after Endgame, but it's set long before Endgame with a character that's already dead. Essentially only really to set up Yelena, who will take on the role of Black Widow going forward. Mm-hmm. Like That's functionally what this film is trying to do. Because it's not even really a send-off for Natasha. It doesn't try to do that. It's just like, oh, here's a moment from her life. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And it was a really strange movie. I mean, I'm glad she got her own movie. I just wish it was good. But, yeah, wish it was good. Wish it came much sooner. Yeah. Because she deserved it. She deserved to have it come much sooner. Tragic. Anyway, now we can talk about something that is actually good and that we can have a lot of good things to say about our, about it is the Loki show on Disney Plus, which I will say right now, so far, is my favorite MCU TV show. I think yes. it was executed really well. I loved it from start to finish. I loved every moment of it. I was excited every week. Uh, it stars Tom Hiddleston, Owen Wilson, Sophia DiMartino, spoiler alert, by the way, Jonathan Majors and Gugu Mbatha-Ra. It was directed by Kate Heron, and it is superb. It is fun. It is stylistic. It is important in setting up the future of the MCU. It is good in its own right. It is well-performed, well-written. Uh, the dialogue is incredible. The scenes are incredible. The way everything is, the world that is built is incredible. I think it does so many things well that I'm very much blown away by the Loki show. Your thoughts? Yeah. I very much agree. If you recall... When we were talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch Loki because those two films we had seen, but certainly Falcon and the Winter Soldier didn't have many implications for the rest of the MCU. So I was like, is it going to be a nothing show? It's about Loki, who is a great character, but I mean, there are people who are absolutely just diehard in love with Mm -hmm. Tom Hiddleston and his performance of Loki, and I'm not necessarily one of them. So I was like, I'm not too attached. Yeah. And it was also, it was 2012 Loki, and I was still skeptical about doing that because like we already saw all the growth that he went through do i really want to go back to a time when he was a schmuck and just watch that play out so i wasn't particularly invested in it but then i kept hearing from so many people that loki is so good so incredible a must watch you gotta see it i was like fine i'll do it so i started watching it sunday Mm -hmm. and i finished it in two days that's which, the quickest you've ever watched a show <laughs> i mean it's a very small show and also this is probably still. not ultimately true um but yeah i did blow through it you binge to the other ones you never been shows again there are shows i binge but i do tend to savor them more i love to savor them more um which again like we'll talk about this whenever we do that breaking bad episode but it's been an interesting experience watching it week by week as compared to doing a semi binge, which I did where I would watch it like a, an episode a day compared to You've been a watching binge that you might do, which is like what, four or five episodes a day and you just get through it really quick. Maybe more. I mean, I could get through season one of Breaking Bad in one day if I really try. It's only seven episodes, but I can do it. But you, you have been watching Breaking Bad one episode a week. Yeah. Again, we'll talk about it when we get to that episode, but yeah, I'm making my mom watch it. And so, we watch it as our pizza night every Friday. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Because um, I watched, when I first watched Breaking Bad, it was on Netflix and I binged it like hard. 
and I finished it in probably three or four weeks. And then Better Call Saul came out, and that was, of course, uh, AMC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it is week by week, and I had to watch it week by week. And it was a much stranger experience, waiting week by week, and then again after that, waiting like a year for the next season to come out, because I hadn't done that in so long. It had always been bingeable material. And so to do that again, it was kind of exciting. It was kind of fun. Like the cliffhangers struck me more, if that makes sense. Like the end, the season ending cliffhangers are a lot more powerful when you have to wait a whole year to see how it turns out or the episode cliffhangers. We have to wait a week to see how that turns out. And the same goes for Loki, because when you're watching Loki, there's almost every episode leaves on some kind of cliffhanger, some kind of setup, and you have to wait for the next week to get there. And you're like, yeah, I wish it was here. I wish it was here now because I want to watch it now. And it, it definitely leaves you wanting more. So yeah. It's that's... an interesting appeal that week by week television has that it's, it's an interesting thing to see streaming services start to do that because for a long time, it was just put the whole season up there at once. Netflix still does that. Uh, Amazon prime did that for a long time. And now they're just starting to do week by week. Uh, Disney plus has committed to week by week programming and has now said that all mcu shows will come out on wednesdays now instead of fridays because of loki weird it's interesting it, they they just they got so much attention from loki and they think it has something to do with the wednesdays <laughs> yeah so they were like they're like we'll do whatever we can to replicate this the content doesn't matter it's the time it comes out it has to be wednesdays yeah but that's a little strange but to your point that was sort of the time i was going to make here was i'm just, uh, glad that i didn't watch it week by week because the cliffhangers would have been killer this they by were. far has one of the best at least certainly for them so you think but i think just mm-hmm. overall and like shows in general this has some of the best cliffhanger stuff like episode to episode there. it's amazing like, i was blown away at the end of each episode and wanted to know more like it was on the edge of my seat i was so excited for wednesdays to come i've never been excited for wednesdays <laughs> the first time in my life i was like god let, let wednesday come let wednesday come yeah but this is so, a, this is just a good show it is, it is. So we're going to break it down a bit, go through each episode real quick and just talk about the highlights and some of the lowlights from them because as much as we've been as much as we've been gushing about the show, there are still some moments where it falters, but definitely very few moments because overall the show as you said, best MCU show they put out so far. Uh and it'll be tough I think to top it because of not just what the show does in and of itself, but the way that it relates to the broader MCU phase four going forward is just so important, so amazing. So mm-hmm. episode one is called Glorious Purpose. This is where we get to see right from the moment when he stole the Tesseract back in Endgame 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the whole premise of the show is brought to the Time Variance Authority, and he's tasked with helping the TVA track down another Loki variant in order to protect the sacred timeline. So right away, again, I think WandaVision had such an interesting premise, but it took a little while for that to really get going. Yeah, that's how other people felt. I was hooked from the first episode because it was such an interesting deviation from what we've had so far. Mm. But this opening episode, it already had me fully. I was so interested in both the premise and Loki's role in it. Mm. Like the whole tracking down Loki variant, I thought was probably the weakest part of it, but the rest of the world building they did of there is this TVA and then the implications that means for everything we've seen so far 
Um, <laughs> like Logie's one line of looking at this big bureaucratic office and being like, so this is the greatest power in the universe. Like this essentially just government organization <laughs> um, that's outside of time and space. Like that was just so interesting to me. And then Owen Wilson being the face of it through Mobius. Mm. That was also just hilarious. He's so good in this show. He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> I love Owen Wilson more than anybody on the planet. <laughs> and him in this show is absolutely incredible. Like, he he has no idea what the MCU is. He has no idea what he's doing. And he's going in there and he's killing it week after week after week. He knows exactly what to do to make me smile to make me sad, to make me fall in love with his character. It's just so, he's just so likable. He's just such a likable person. It's incredible. I wish I had such charm, such charisma. God, he's just so, so like, and the chemistry he has with Tom Hiddleston is great too. The way that they bounce off each other. What I think is so amazing about the first episode is that it is 2012 Loki when we first meet him and they have to take that 2012 Loki and they got to give him uh, eight or so years of character development to get him back to where he was when we last saw him when he died because we want him to be at that point for us to like him. And they do that by just showing him the rest of his life up until the point he dies and showing him all the horrible things he ever does and then having Owen Wilson, who's such a great guy, just act as his sort of pseudo-therapist kind of guiding him through this process to get him through that character development. And it is rushed, but believable like the way they do it is a believable way for me to say okay he's had this character development in this one episode and he's a almost a different loki at this point like than 2012 loki certainly because when you see him he's evil and they show those scenes of him being evil of him taking the dude's eye and killing people and him setting up his mother's death and they're like they like this is like what we were talking about earlier about the mcu not wanting us to see their heroes as bad guys they let us see Loki as the bad guy and they show Loki that, hey, you are the bad guy. Why do you like being the bad guy when you don't want to be the bad guy? And he has that character development breakthrough where he he like accepts what he's done in the past and how wrong it is and knows he can't change that, but he can change his future. And he has that change of heart and he's still, you know, conniving a little bit, especially at the end of the first episode leading to the second episode. But that sort of theme of him opening up and stop being the trickster goes and like carries through the rest of the show until the very end when he's like i'm done being that person i want to be my own person i want to be my own thing i'm done craving attention via conniving and tricking and hurting people i'm done doing that you know and i love that sort of development he has and owen wilson's character's part in playing that right 100 percent. like you said there it was necessary for them to do it a little quickly because we needed to want to root for this Loki, for this Loki. If he were, again, just fully the 2012 version all the way through, I think we'd have a tough time with that. Yeah. Um, so again, for me, as I was saying, like I didn't want to just see a 2012 version of Loki go through this whole thing. So they needed to bring him up to speed with the character development we saw in those other films in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I think the way they did it is really impactful because I mean none of us certainly can know the experience of watching the rest of your life play out and seeing certain horrible decisions you've made that are in line with things you've done in the past right like what he did with the dark elves having the biggest consequence ever 
because we know for a fact we've always known how much he's cared about his mom and then him seeing wow this is the product of the type of person i've been and still currently am is that happening um and then eventually leading to the end of asgard the throne that he's been trying to take over for all this time like seeing the fruitlessness of that and then ultimately him ending up dead like it certainly would be a powerful experience so like you said it is believable that he will have again not a full change of heart because he doesn't have that and it still takes some of the other episodes but he does take on this different understanding of who he is and that it is not the best version of himself that he can be and not the best thing for him so mm-hmm. does choose to be somewhat different in that first episode moving forward but like you said he still does have that scheming side to him he is still power hungry searching for that glorious purpose um and we see that in his new goal of well, i'm gonna take over the tpa because yes. he wants to rule over the most powerful entity there is and that's the tva and he also wants to get out from under the thumb so that approach to it also very good and the fact that yeah owen wilson was the pseudotherapist helping him get through that also amazing really great dialogue like, it is not there's a couple of action scenes and they're really great in the show but most of the show is just characters talking and you don't see that a lot in the mcu and it's so it's such a breath of fresh air to just watch these characters change as they just communicate with each other and it's so much fun to watch now when we get to the second episode they've already set this up a bit at the end of the first one loki's here to track down a loki variant and we don't know who it is we don't know what it's going to be but apparently they're evil they're killing people and they have a plan to do something and i'm glad that they sort of addressed that right away in the first episode because if that had been like if it had been like the whole season building up to them catching a Loki variant and then you realize, oh, like the plot twist at the end is that the person they're chasing is a Loki variant, that would have been really, really boring and really, really bad. And the fact that they just address that right away and just try and get that out of the way in the second episode to set up the rest of the series is really well done because it is kind of boring, the idea of Loki chasing himself. Like, I hate to admit it, but I would not be excited if that was what the whole show was. But anyway. We're in the second episode, and it's just like they're like buddy detectives, pretty much. Owen Wilson's character, Mobius and Loki, they're just trying to figure out where the other Loki is, trying to track them down. And it's just fun to watch them interact and talk because they're just talking the whole time, just trying to figure out where this other Loki is. And then they find out that they're at apocalyptic events because no matter what you do in these events, it won't change the timeline because everything gets wiped out so it doesn't matter nothing you can do whatever you want there and you won't get noticed by the tva which is an interesting concept i like that i think that's very clever i think so i think so too like i was amazed by how they arrived at that like having loki be the one to stumble upon that so it's showing how he's able to have those sort of tricky thought processes about oh this is how someone would do it um, so the fact that he's able to put those things together, I really enjoyed. And the way that we get to see it explained through Pompeii was fun as well. Because I was also wondering if the show was going to be them, like essentially a Marvel version of Legends of Tomorrow, where they just go to different events in history. And I was like, that kind of seems like it'd 
be boring after a while. Like how you said, if it's just them tracking down that mm. Loki variant the whole time, um, didn't seem like you would have much substance to it. So I like this way that they are, okay, this is where the variant would be. And then they're trying to figure out how exactly, I thought the whole candy bar thing was, because it didn't really make sense why she would give the candy bar to the kid and like leave it if she was really trying to not get tracked down. But whatever, I can believe it. I can accept it because it did allow them to make this uh, smart connection between, okay, this is the exact apocalypse that she would end up being in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Loki variant. So that I really liked. I also liked in the first episode the way that they made Loki be D.B. Cooper. <laughs> that was just hilarious. That was great. When she, when they were doing that bit and <laughs> he was like, okay, I have a bomb in the thing. I was like, why does this feel familiar? Why is that like something I've seen before? And then as he was getting to the part where he was going to jump off the thing, I was like, oh, wait, that's that D.B. Cooper thing. I remember that <laughs> one yeah. viral YouTube video that explained the search for D.B. Cooper. Um, so that was really cool as well. I also thought it was funny the way they mentioned they're going through the apocalyptic events around the 2050 era, mm-hmm. and it's just nonstop climate crisis events, yeah. um, which is going to be a little too real, but that I thought was also pretty funny. Um, so yeah, that that r- reveal there was really cool. And as you mentioned, the way it's just a lot of dialogue, it's a lot of Loki and Mobius talking, that for me is some of the best stuff in the show. It's just them talking and having their little philosophical debate about things like the predetermined timeline and free will. Because, I mean, those are debates or just discussions I've had before of mm-hmm. if it is like an established timeline. And if we were on the outside of it, would we see it as everything's predetermined or would we still perceive things as having free will? Mm-hmm. Like if you're on the outside and you're able to see how events that are taking place now end up creating events in the future and like set those in stone is it still technically free will that you have at the moment like that's an interesting discussion that they dive into with loki and mobius so i appreciated that they in the show actually gave some time to thoughts like that Mm -hmm. instead of completely passing it over and just trying to focus on action and stuff Um, They did let us slow down a bit and just sit with the implications of the TVA and this sacred timeline and things like that. So I Mm -hmm. also really enjoyed that part. And additionally, the whole people talking a lot, they spice it up by maybe a little too often reminding us that everyone's trying to manipulate everyone. But the fact that that was always present in our minds, I think also helped make sure that these dialogue scenes were compelling beyond just whatever subject matter they were discussing. Yeah. We're always trying to be like them, figuring out, okay, what about what's being said is truthful and what about it is some manipulation tactic that's trying to get me to fall in line with whatever their goals are. Um, that was also another fun little game that was always being played throughout the series. Mm-hmm. So another really amazing element to this Loki show. I think I had a lot of fun in the second episode when they get to the rocks on um, Supermart because this is an apocalyptic event that nobody survives. Like, we know that going in. And there's all these people and they're huddling and they're scared. And it's, like, hard to watch. 
And then he's walking around trying to find the Loki variant. And there's just people still shopping. There's people who are just like looking for items to buy. I think that's hilarious. Is that it's this apocalypse event that nobody survives. And it looks horrible. This storm, this huge flood coming in. It was a category eight storm. Yeah. I saw that on like the file and I was like, oh, snap. Category yeah. eight. Yikes. And these people are just still shopping. Like it just shows how stupid some people are. But I love that whole sequence where Lady Loki is like uh, enchanting multiple people and like using like a chain to enchant them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Loki's following them, and then you get to the reveal that it is Lady Loki. Because you have no idea who it is when it's just people talking as the Loki variant. Like, that's a good way to, like, build that tension up and set it up. Because we have no idea who it's going to be. And then it's Lady Loki. And then you have another cliffhanger where Lady Loki disappears, and Loki follows her. We have no idea how that's going to be set up. And I think that's super cool. Right. So, yeah, episode three, largely... I mean, it's titled Lamentus. It's about their time on Lamentus, which is, was it a moon or a planet that's about to get wrecked? I think it's a planet with a moon about to hit the planet. Okay. I thought, like, multiple times, I couldn't really tell. I thought they were on the moon, and they the planet was, like, crashing into them, which I don't know how that would work. It's one of the two. But it, basically, yeah. a large planetary object is crashing into Lamentus. Yes. Uh, and so we see them trying to get off of it because the temp pad is not charged, mm-hmm. which fun that the technology so advanced as a tin pad is still need still needs to get charged up at night. Um, but they go around Lamentus trying to find a power source large enough to charge it so they can get off. And then they get a lot of shenanigans. They also get a lot of time to just talk and learn more about mm-hmm. each other. And I was very mixed on this episode. I think it's the weakest one. And it's sad because... Sure. A big part of the show is going to be the relationship between Loki and Sylvie. And we need to buy into that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much I buy into that relationship and Sylvie in particular. I'm glad that you do. I really didn't. And I also, it felt like they started out at each other's throats, like really mistrusting each other. And then towards Mm -hmm. the end of this, they sort of trust each other, but not necessarily in the sense of, oh, we just need to do that in order to get out alive like they genuinely in a way are like okay i'm gonna trust you and i don't know what they have done yet at that point to merit them deciding to do such a thing so i don't know it was still not something i was fully buying into the parts where he also got drunk on the train i thought was very out of character for loki like i mentioned oh i'm hedonistic Okay, sure, but you wouldn't do that when you're right next to another Loki variant who you spent all this time talking about the fact that you can't trust them. She was asleep. So, but still, he's going to get drunk and she's obviously going to wake up and she'll be clear-minded and he won't be. I think they've had enough of a journey at this point to trust each other not to stab each other in the back. Especially because he has leverage over her and she has leverage over him. So they have lever- she has over him is what <laughs> she knows how to charge and work the tempad. He I doesn't. That's true. I feel and like he has the tempad, and so a, they have leverage over each other, so they can't hurt each other. Smart boy, I'm sure he could figure it out. But either way, again, he's the tech seems... savvy Loki. But he, yeah, even if that's true, which I mean, again, a way it is, but that's still them having leverage over each other and not genuinely trusting. I don't feel like if 
even if you're in a tense situation where you have an upper hand over someone, you're not going to go out of your way to weaken your senses by getting drunk on the train. While you still also need to pull off like commandeering the arc that they're going to. Like there's still stuff to do. And then they get beat by a bunch of humans. He's not even drunk drunk, you know? Like you look at Regardless, it's still the whole like the intent behind it of like, yeah, I'm gonna get wasted. I mean it's the end of the world, bro. Let's get (laughs) sloshed. But not for them. They're trying to avoid the end of the world. And then they get tossed out of a train by two nobodies, which was weird. That and was it breaks work. the tim pad and i was like um okay well i think that whole thing is just giving them more and more problems and more and more problems and more and more problems i agree just like, i think just putting them in more and more drastic situations to the point where they have to depend on each other because they can't get off this rock alone right. like they need each other to do it but i think it was a bit sloppy and also the point about him getting drunk <laughs> another reason to avoid that is because you want to avoid any suspicion and he's a god exactly, he's 2012 loki he doesn't care about that's exactly though. how he got found out is because someone's like hey that guy was weird like i don't know i just feel like loki he's too cocky to be careful no nah, again i don't think so i feel like it's it was a very big stretch that they made to have him like do those actions well um, agreed to disagree. in order to up the stakes and be like oh now they don't have the temp pad and they don't have the train so they got to walk there which they walked there like first of all what's the timeline of the planet about to get destroyed also they walked there they're supposed to train the whole way well to be fair to to be fair if they had gotten there via train they would have gotten onto the arc like is the whole point is like they were trying to get onto the arc to charge the tempad and so the train would have gotten there before it exploded and they were going to walk there and get there and hopefully make it on time to where they could get onto it and make the arc not blow up but then the arc did blow up by the time they got there because they weren't on the train. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, I just thought it was, this was the one where I saw the most holes in it. And I was like, eh. And then again, also seeing what they were trying to do with Sylvie, which I don't know why, for the most part, she doesn't entirely work. I don't know if it was the performance or what, but it wasn't entirely hitting for me the ways it should be. And again, I also don't see why he started forming any feelings for her when the extent of what, she knows what he knows about her was just like one or two things about their mom. Like, Bro, oh, I, lovers. I just don't know, man. And also the whole thing about them being essentially the same person was a little weird, which I wish they would have talked more about. Like they had Mobius later on be like, how, what a sick narcissist that you fall in love with your. Hey son. man, I'm here for it. I think that's something Loki would do. I mean, in the comics, he fucks a horse. So like, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> Wow, TMI. Anyway, I think it, I know what they were doing with it and I what they were trying to do with it, but I don't think it fully delivered for me in this one. However, it also had a great cliffhanger moment when the thing gets destroyed. Oh, and the just, She just walks away as he's like looking at the fireball of the ship. I thought that was so funny. The way mm-hmm. she just walks away after they like failed. It's so good. Um, but yeah, for me, this was the weakest episode. I and it also, the love is a dagger thing, which, again, I felt like out of nowhere where they started talking about love um, and him having his whole spiel about it. But I thought that was a good representation of his what his relationship to love would look like. Um, again, the way he would always sort of see it as an illusion, as a trick, as for him mostly a means to an end. Um, something he can't fully feel at this point in time but of course over the 
next few episodes, he seems to fall into it more, which, again, don't entirely believe. But I like the essence of what they're going for. I believe it. Anyway, it says up the next episode, which was incredible, episode four. So Loki and Silver are retrieved because there's an Axis event, because they almost kiss. And that's weird, apparently. The the timeline doesn't like them. Two of the same people kiss themselves, apparently. <laughs> so there's a huge spike in the Nexus event. The the TVA shows up, kidnaps them. And we have this cool scene where Loki is put in the torture chamber and Sif is just beating him up. First off, great surprise. Like, we have not seen Sif in a long... She was in an, an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think. Yeah. And then before that, we hadn't seen her since the Dark World. So we don't really get to see Sif that much. And it was fun to see her again. Especially because doesn't she die in Ragnarok, hypothetically? Like, she's not in Ragnarok, but all the other people die in Ragnarok. So I feel like she would, too. Yeah. But anyway, it's cool to see Sif again, especially because you have that thing where, like, each time she's telling him that he's going to die alone. And then he has that moment where he, like, opens up and admits to her. And like it's like, yes, I did cut your hair out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not mean I did it for attention. I'm so sorry I did this. Uh, I can't believe I would do something so stupid. And then she leans in and says, you will die alone. And then just walks away. And then it hits him. And it's sad. I love that scene. Yeah, I agree with you there. It was a fun little scene. And then the way it had that emotional depth at the very end, um, sort of a clue to how this whole thing is going to end. Um, I thought that was a strong point. And again, seeing Sif again was very fun because I do remember she was like the only MCU character from the movies to end up in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. which is, I hope they put some respect on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. during the Multiverse of Madness thing because we got to see at least one of them. Like, come on. It was a, they had some good moments in that show. They also did a lot of, during one of their seasons, they did a whole bunch of time travel junk. So I wonder if they're also trying to limit Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being in the mainline MCU because they don't want any of that like contradictory stuff. But the season when S.H.I.E.L.D. got destroyed and then they had to deal with the fallout on that show, uh, that was, was great. good stuff. I remember that happening. I remember watching <laughs> The Winter Soldier and thinking, how the, how the fuck are they going to do this on Agents <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Like, what, what, what is going to happen? And then the way they handled it was incredible. That's what I'm saying. So I really hope they give like some of those characters even if it's not phil colson like give someone else some time to shine in that because those are some good actors man and they were the also ones they... carrying the baton of marvel shows for so long i mean they did it all by themselves and now they got all these other people here with yeah. bigger budgets and bigger characters and bigger actors but they did it for like seven seasons they held it down yeah they reshowed the clip of phil colson dying in loki and i was just like he's not really dead though like we all yeah. know that I get that you're trying to make a point about Loki being evil and that that was a big part of the Avengers is Phil Coulson dying, but we know he's not dead. We know he's alive. He's doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's fine. Yeah. I thought that was also funny that they didn't talk about how he gets resurrected. It would have been um, funny if they if they mentioned Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Loki and they were like, by the way, you didn't actually kill him. And Loki was like, ah. Like, mission failed, buddy. But yeah. Again, I wonder if that's them trying to keep it on the down low like if they want to keep most marvel people from thinking that agents of shield is canon um Mm -hmm. so i don't know we'll have to see about that but as for the rest of episode four nexus event we see mobius steal the tempad from ravona 
which that sort of relationship, like they try to have it, like Mobius has feelings for Ravona. No, I think, think? Just, I think they're just friends. No, I think he was. No, I think he kind of had feelings, and she I sort of like friends ones in there. We're talking about good friends. Nah, we'll have to see. But I think there's definitely something, something more to it there. But she steals it from, or he steals it from her, uh, when he learns the truth, or he has that kernel of doubt in his mind from Loki. So then he steals that tempad, and then ultimately learns the truth, and he's like, "Oh snap, I gotta go free Loki." My man does, and then he gets pruned. Talk about earth-shattering, heart-crushing moments. I was devastated when I saw Mobius get pruned because at this point, I, we don't know what happens when you get pruned, but we're led to believe that you're just dead. And for most people, that is the case. We learn later on, like most people do die after they get pruned, but there's a whole process to get to that point. But it's still sad to see him go. I didn't really want, was, I didn't want him to die. I was stunned. I was also like, my man's last words are about that jet ski. <laughs> then he's just gone. Um, what if I had a jet ski? <laughs> wow. wow. But yeah, that was shocking. And I was hoping, I was like, there's got to be more to it. Because if that's the way he goes, and we have two episodes left, I couldn't, I didn't want to believe it. Because him know. and Loki were the best part of the show for me. Um, so I was like, I hope my man doesn't actually disappear for good yeah and then at the end of the episode after they find out the timekeepers are fake and they have the whole fight loki gets pruned too and it's like ooh, they and that's both the cliffhanger them. and i was like what obviously we knew at that point okay there's something more to it but, but you were when you were watching this and you were binging it you saw the post-credit scene for episode four right i didn't i thought episode five was gonna have the post-credit scene thing because i knew i'm like they always do some random post-credit scene one episode so let me check and see um yeah i'm also pretty sure i started watching episode five like just the first few minutes of it, mm-hmm. just so I could see like what happens with it. So I didn't really need to see the post credit scene, but it was yeah. him like waking up, right? Episode four, yeah, the post credit scene is him. He wakes up, and then you see the other Lokis, and it was just such a surprise to see Richard E. Grant dressed like that. <laughs> it was very funny, and then the alligator look. It just like the bizarrity of it. It just set up so much for the for the fifth episode that I was so excited. I was blown away i was like this is gonna be great this is gonna be fantastic this is gonna be everything i ever wanted it to be and it was episode five is fantastic it is the way it starts out with all of the loki variants and he's having to navigate that and then president loki shows up with his little ragtag team of other lokis and the alligator <laughs> eats his hand yeah that was amazing the betrays that they the betrayals they did i think the official title was boastful loki yeah. like one of the the trio of lokis that he first encounters and then he he's like, yeah, about that. Got to get you. And then President Loki is like, yeah, about that. I'm going to take over. And then all of his Lokis <laughs> pull out their swords on him. Is like, yeah, about that. It was yeah, so they just funny. Turn on each other. It's hilarious. <laughs> and Loki, our Loki, is all fed up with it at this point. He's like, God, I hate. <laughs> I hate he's like, I hate everything about these Loki. Loki. Yeah, is he's he's like kind of like it's kind of like taking a step back from yourself and looking at yourself objectively and being like, am I really like this? I think it's funny that he has that kind of moment and realizes how stupid it is. Yeah, that was amazing. And then we see the Sylvie and Ravona stuff, which again, another element that I thought was somewhat weak was Hunter B, whatever the other Hunter. Hunter um, B-15? Yeah, and Ravona. Mm-hmm. I thought Hunter B-15, I like that character was somewhat forgettable. Ravona, 
again, in parts, I'm like, okay, this is a necessary character and I see what they're doing with it. Like, I think it's interesting that she's trying to continue the status quo, even though now she knows she's a variant and timekeepers are fake. She's still like, okay, well, we need to like hold fast and hold true to the mission. Yeah. Um, so that I think is interesting. But again, when I would consider the best, like if I were to organize every single scene in Loki, mm-hmm. it would always have Loki and Mobius at like the top. Of and course. We'll talk about shortly Loki, Sylvie, and He Who Remains. And then like towards the bottom would be things that have Ravona in it. Like the Ravona Mobius stuff and then this stuff I was like somewhat interested in, but the Ravona Mobius stuff is kind of cool. Better. I like the Ravona Mobius stuff because it's setting up their friendship and her ultimate betrayal and her setup as the bad guy. And I do kind of like that a lot because that is a good emotional connection is that Owen Wilson's character Mobius just feels so betrayed by this person he considered a friend for such a long time. And he comes back and he's like, well, fuck you. And he gets his revenge. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the next episode. But in this one, the big little battle at the end is them taking on the smoke monster, Eliath, which little sad that they went with the whole smoke monster design. We've seen that plenty of times before. It was essentially just parallax. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever, I guess it's fine. Then the way that they, this was really cool though. Richard Grant coming in yeah. and manifesting that like city of Asgard to distract Eliath. That I thought was so, so well done. That had me all riled up. I loved it. Mm. Um, so ultimately, I think they did well with it, even though I'm still not a big fan of the fact that like the design they went with was just a big CGI smoke ball, but still a good way to to raise the stakes towards the end here um, and have us take on that big monster that eats everything and fully takes mm. them out of the timeline. There's um, a theory that classic loki is still alive because he says that line about how you can cast a projection that is so believable that even the mad titan thanos believed it mm-hmm. and so people think that the richard e grant that was casting the image of uh asgard to distract the Lyath was actually a projection that he was creating so people think he's still alive that'd be cool it would Especially because it just seemed too quick, like because we barely know the character and he already sacrifices himself. It seems too quick of a way to get rid of him, and I feel like he deserves more time to flourish because I love his character so much. Right. But anyway, yeah. that was a great episode. Uh, I love everything that's set up about this whole end of time area and setting up who could be the big bad past Elioth, you know, and that big cliffhanger of them going into the castle. I was like, are they going to let us know at the end of episode five or are they going to leave us on a cliffhanger? And of course they left us on the cliffhanger and episode six rolls around and we get it. We get to know who it is. We finally get to know who it is. They have this really cool Citadel. They have that jump scare from uh, Miss Minutes. <laughs> yeah. It scared the shit out of Alexa. It was hilarious. She jumped. It, it was so funny. It scare me for a second because I was like, I just happened to look because I was eating, so I haven't looked down at my food at that moment. Um, so I wasn't like really caught off guard by it. But I was like, Jesus Christ, that would have that had to be a big old jump scare for a lot hey, of people. Y'all. <laughs> I it's love this funny. Uh, me too. <laughs> She's such a quirky, fun character. Apparently, there's supposed to be a fight scene between Loki and Sylvie and Miss Minutes, which would have looked ridiculous. So I'm glad they didn't do it. But Miss Minutes is such a quirky character that's just like 
designed to be the middleman between the TVA and he who remains, which I think is really funny. Uh, but anyway, we get to the Citadel, the doors open to the elevator. We find out that he who remains is in the comics. His name is Immortus, and essentially he is a variant of Kang the Conqueror, who is going to be apparently the big bad of the MCU now that the Mad Titan Thanos is gone. And I gotta say, I was I was surprised. I didn't think they would go through with it. I didn't think they'd give us a Kang variant or a Kang anything. I thought it was I really thought it was just gonna be another Loki variant. I thought like the plots would be, oh, there is an, an even greater evil Loki who has comprised this whole thing for his own glorious purpose. But honestly, I like this more. I think this is cooler. I think it sets up the MCU better. I think Jonathan Majors gave a really good performance. I love the conversations they have. I love the way they set it up here. They just get a lot of the exposition out really quick. So we learn a lot about Kang's backstory and the multiverse backstory and how that all started and how Kang is kind of responsible for the multiversal war. And now he's responsible for the sacred timeline. And then that sets up this cool thing. I'm really skipping through this episode because I'm really focusing on the he remains parts because there's cool stuff with Mor- Morbius and stuff. But what's really cool is just how they set up he who remains and Kang the Conqueror and how killing Immortus is setting up that stuff and that end shot ooh, of just... Oh my god. Planet these, of the Apes type stuff, bro. Yeah, really. It's like, because Alexa was confused by it and I'm like, well, obviously Loki is in a different timeline now where of course mobius does not recognize him and instead of the timekeepers the sacred timeline is kept by kang the conqueror and kang the conqueror is this big bad guy who is evil ah scary scary stuff yeah i was so satisfied with the reveal here because i was Mm. always wondering i was like it's i hope they don't do another loki variant because it seemed too obvious for it to be that yeah and i'm amazed because i know a bunch of the theories that were flying around during the the like weekly release schedule mm-hmm. was that it would be king the conqueror and i was always wondering if it was going to be another mephisto situation where it does not turn out to be that um but the way that they did this one where like it's a king the conqueror variant and then it's directly setting up king the conqueror to show up later on because mm-hmm. now we're fully in the multiverse all the branches out of the sacred timeline they're just interconnected and everywhere Mm -hmm. that approach to it i think is so interesting i do i'm still not entirely like i'm wondering what exactly the motivation of he who remains is like was it legitimately just that he was tired and was like i want to stop (laughs) like i want to not do this anymore he wanted someone Um, to take over his role because he was tired or was it yeah because that i can like sort of believe and it's kind of somewhat stupid that my man who was in charge of everything he's like you know what i'm okay i'm done um but i think it's funny that it went out in a flurry of like let me do something unpredictable let me not be the one in charge of everything for just one moment and let someone else have the choice um and i think it's funny that ultimately he's like okay with the more evil versions of himself coming up if it means that he's able to just for one second not have to control the timeline or see what happens next or know what happens next i love the shot of him when he's talking and he like he's telling about how he knows everything that's going to happen and then there's like a like a, a ring or something and he stops and he's like oh that was it that was everything i knew 
that was everything I knew was going to happen. We've crossed the threshold. I don't know what's going to happen next. And he like drops the pen. And he's like, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> and he's just like amazed about the fact that he doesn't, he like, he, there's a, everything that is going to happen from this point onward. He just does not know what's going to happen, which has never happened for him in a long time. Cause he's been in the sacred timeline for so long that he's written that he knows it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen to everything and everyone. And now finally he has reached the threshold where he, he no longer knows. I think that's yeah. cool. What do you think that threshold was? Do you think it was like the other, like if we imagine that this is a point in the loop where it keeps happening, where the multiverse happens and then someone has to bring it all together in the way that he did, like using Elias to erase all the other ones and just have one central timeline. Um, and then it just like keeps happening over and over again. Like what is that threshold where he knew everything before but then no longer knows it and it's like writing itself and then immediately the sacred timeline starts branching out like what was that threshold i think it's supposed to be like he is at the end of time right yeah. like he is at the end of time but the end of the time is a flowing river so there is a time after the end of time so he is at the end of time he knows everything that leads up to it but because it's supposedly the end of time what comes after the end of time he doesn't know and he reaches that threshold and he's like right. oh now i don't know what's gonna happen shit but he says because i mean he's always been at that end of time right but he says he hits that threshold where now he no longer knows anything mm-hmm. like if he was always at the end of time and it's a flowing river he would continuously like always be hitting that threshold of now i don't know anything now i don't know anything but he maybe he goes back it was like he a big a event. i mean yeah but he's saying like but again, there would always be a continuous thing where, like, the threshold is always moving further and further. Like, now I know what just happened a second ago, but I don't know two seconds from now. Okay, wait, now I know that. Like, it'd be a continuous thing if he was at the end of time doing that. But they made it a big event of, like, this is now the moment where I don't know what's going to happen next, which makes it seem like potentially there was a previous instance where, like, something like that happened where Loki variants arrived and something was going to happen, but he knew everything up until then. And then like everything reset. Um, but he still has the knowledge of, I mean, it's certainly ended up to a certain point. It's and, certainly confusing, but I don't think the intention was to do anything super deep with it. I think there was just, there was a period of time that he knows everything's going to happen. And he hit the threshold of, I do not know what's going to happen anymore. Well, I don't think there's anything deeper than that. No, I do want to know more though. Cause they had, I mean, if they included a lot of that interesting subject matter, I would want to, make sure that it all is at least somewhat consistent. So I'm mean, just curious they, more about like if that did have a meaning behind it. Cause I think it did. I mean, I don't know why they would include that and then it just be like, oh, it's cool that he just reaches the threshold. Like if they the made, idea is that he knew everything, but now there's this point where he doesn't know, like that's gotta yeah. be something important, right? I mean, they might bring it up in Loki season two. Who knows? Exactly. Before I don't we get think on, they will, but who knows? <laughs> before we get on to that mentioning like the future of it, um, the whole like emotional core of the final bit is Loki and Sylvie ultimately not being able to come together, right? Loki is skeptical of killing Immortus. He remains because he's like, hey, this will unleash that multiversal war. Maybe we should talk about it. And Sylvie just wants the revenge. And there's that secondary justification of being like, hey, this will be good because free will. Um, but mm-hmm. ultimately, she's in it for the revenge. And she's seeing Loki's hesitance as him wanting the throne yeah so i love that i love that whole 
she's still in that mindset of he could be backstabbing her and he's completely past that mm-hmm. and so he's yeah, i just love that whole dance they do of him trying to stop her from killing he who remains and he ultimately loses i love that yeah and those two lines of you can't trust and i can't be trusted summing mm-hmm. up essentially how they are even though at this point he can be trusted he made it past that like his he didn't have this secondary plan in the works that he was going to spring on everybody mm-hmm. he was at this point no longer like tricking or manipulating which yeah. again i like that we got to the point mm-hmm. where that's what his character was it wasn't some um motivation that he had secretly all along it was him genuinely just wanting to get to the bottom of this and uh tagging along with sylvie to get to the end and she is still caught up as you said in that mindset still unable to move past her desire to inflict revenge on Amortis, and she ultimately after kissing loki which i'm sure you enjoyed again i was like okay yeah um after i'm here ki- for it <laughs> i'm still like yeah uh kisses loki turns around grabs the temp pad pushes that mofo through the time door and then is now free to stab he who remains himself who then go see you soon i mean that was that's terrifying yeah that's very scary um so, i love the idea where he said like if you kill me there will just be another multiversal war and then another variant of me will just stop it and create the tva again and i'll just be right back where i am i love when he says that it's like ooh, that's scary that idea of like no matter what you do the situation will always come back to the TVA existing and the sacred timeline existing. Like there's nothing you can do to stop that. Right. Which is why it's so interesting going forward to see how we're able to, to take down Kang the Conqueror or any one of his variants. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised that they're doing a season two for Loki. Cause I would imagine that this stuff would be saved for the movies like multiverse of madness or the next big Avengers team up film that they do. But I mean, there's going to be a second season of Loki. So. I, I think it will because Kang the Conqueror is the main villain in Ant-Man Quantumania. Right. Which I remember hearing and thinking, I feel like they're kind of wasting Kang or maybe it won't be as great. I remember not being too excited for it. But now I'm pumped. I'm like, I'm here for it. I think it's going to be great. Doesn't I think Loki season two comes out before Ant-Man, right? Does Ant-Man come out next year or 23? It's 2023. So Multiverse should come out before then, and then what? I guess Loki, and then the Quantum Mania, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that seems right. Because Loki season two, I don't know when they said that that'll be confirmed, but I think it's supposed to come out next year. And Quantum Mania is twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's definitely exciting though. Like I am, I wanted to ask you this: of what MCU properties are you most excited for? And for me, it's just the things that are related to the multiverse because I yeah. think it's so interesting. I I'm didn't, very excited. I didn't know if after Endgame they were going to be able to keep people invested, but this, this is approach, investing me. Yes, this is this approach they're doing is the way to go. This multiverse stuff. Mm. And, I was not invested up until this point, like with uh, anything to do with Black Widow or uh, WandaVision or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and stuff they're doing with uh, Julie Dreyfus's character. None of that's really drawing me in. But this stuff with Kang the Conqueror and the multiverse, the multiverse of madness, and potentially stuff in No Way Home, that is all investing me very deeply. Like, I want to see 
crazy stuff happened with the multiverse. I want that to hit the big screen, the small screen, every screen. I want that to be <laughs> like, I want that to be the biggest problem in the MCU for like the next 10 years is that there's a multiverse problem and you have all kinds of people coming in from all different movies across Marvel properties. I think that'd be so cool if they could find a way to do that. Yeah, for real. That I think is going to have to be the way to go again. Like you just said, No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness, and now Ant-Man and the Wasp are my like top anticipated. I really don't care for Shang-Chi or the Eternals right now. Yeah, I I kinda, more of I'm excited stuff. for the Eternals because I think that will have to do with the multiverse somehow. But Shang-Chi is just going to be Shang-Chi, and that's not super exciting to me. But yeah. I'm excited for the Eternals and Spider-Man, of course, and Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. And Blade, just because I like Blade. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this, but I okay. just like Blade. All right. What, how many variant timelines out of five, Dylan? Four. I'm going to give it a four. I am also giving it a four. It's wow. certainly a must watch. Go see it. Best MCU show that we've had so far. Go watch it. It's very important. I think, like, I'm very excited for jonathan majors as king the conqueror going forward because he's legit he did great oh so, yeah so he's amazing such a good actor screen. and i can't wait to see like the darker side of him when he's true i know in- i want to see him be intimidating rather than just quirky and crazy yeah. like he did great as he who remains but i really want to see him as intimidating and scary king the conqueror it'll be so cool who thought that king the conqueror would be the next big bad guy i thought it'd be like dr doom or something well, because, I mean, yeah, it does make sense that Kang, because, I mean, it has to be something bigger than um, than Thanos. And people were saying yeah. Galactus, but I'm glad that they went this Galactus is hard to pull off, though. It is. So this one, I think, is better. I don't know what, like, once they fulfill the Kang thing, which they may have for at least four or five years, maybe. Yeah, I think um, if they're going to do anything properly, it's going to be, like, at the end, near the end of the Kang the Conqueror section they should start setting up dr doom and then dr doom can be the next big bad guy because dr doom is the biggest bad in all of marvel comics dr doom is the mac daddy of bad guys <laughs> yeah well, i think look, that'd be cool that i would be excited for but again i don't know like this they got me hooked the multiverse stuff but strictly just the multiverse stuff the other things i feel like won't be as compelling and then after they conclude the multiverse thing or at least the main bit of it. I don't know where they're going to go to be able to keep enough people invested. But right now, it's still still chugging along. MCU still has us all, has our pockets, our wallets. They got it. Yes, they do. That's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to listen to next week whenever we post our next episode. You can follow us on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. Have a great day.